Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. May He be with you and us, our volunteers, our staff tonight. Heart of the Matter can be seen from anywhere in the world via streaming video. You can also get any show on our archive. All you got to do is go to www.hotm.tv for streaming or the videos. The weather here in Utah is freezing and people are needing warm winter coats and socks. Join us as we seek to support the Salt Lake Rescue Mission who feeds and clothes the homeless. How, homeless. How can you help uh, bring new socks, the ones that are still in those wrappers, you know? and new or nearly new winter coats for males or females here to the station between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, and we'll take them in bulk over to the Salt Lake Rescue Mission on your behalf. The address is on the screen. Thank you for helping those who uh, cannot help themselves. Okay, the first of every month, we try and run an update of what we endorse and support and uh, offer by way of the ministry. The list can get pretty long so we try to keep it narrowed, even though we get frequently get requests for us to mention things on the air. It's going to take just a couple minutes, so let's go. First, we believe all churches in Utah need to be properly trained to receive the LDS who are going to continue to come out of that faith. We therefore endorse those churches that have gone through training in the Transitions Program. It's a special program uh, that a group has put together to help people who have come out of Mormonism to understand what they are going to experience in the body of Christ. Here is a current list of the churches we endorse as the LDS, uh, as LDS ready in the state. Uh, and again, why do we enjoy, endorse these specific churches? Because they have taken the time to be trained on transitions curriculum. So you can read them as they go through. I'm just letting our graphics person show you. They're doing a fine job, even-keeled, moving along wonderfully. Oh, yeah, there we go. Listen, if you don't see your church listed there, ask your pastor, how come? And if they want to be listed on there and promoted as a church that's LDS-ready, have them go to info at LDSTransitions.com. Info at LDSTransitions.com. And uh, sign up for the tr free training. They even give you a lunch when you send a representative there to go through the training. So it's, it's no skin off your back. Okay, next, we have established a 
national, even a worldwide network of people who are out there and ready to help people who are questioning Mormonism or coming out and need someone to talk about. We call them Aletheia Ambassadors. Here is the current list. Into your world and I am lost. I walk away and pay the cost. Oh yeah. And back out on the lonely streets of me, I felt the way that it should be. like to have an ambassador uh, meet with you if you're coming out have questions etc uh, write us Sean at AlethiaMedia.com we'll put you in charge in touch with them and additionally if you would like to be an Alethea ambassador please write us at the same email we'll do the same third we do church on Sundays it's deconstructed want more information go to www.campus hyphens in between each of those letters for more information, fourth, Affordable Automotive is a good place to take your car. Honest, good Christian automotive repairs. Uh, where are they? Just look at the screen. There should be a graphic up there for you. Finally, we offer a number of products we believe are quality, uh, specifically to cater to teaching and reaching and helping people of all ages. Uh, here they are. First, we have books that we offer. The first one, I Was a Born-Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. This is the book that started it all. A great gift for those who don't know uh, where to turn once they have discovered Mormonism to be false. It's all about being born again and what that means relative to the LDS experience. Second, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. 
I love this book. It's short. It's uh, about the misguided political positioning Christians are taking in the world today. Uh, and finally, in books, we have our latest and perhaps one of the best resources in the Mormon-Christian debate out there today. Where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. Pricey, yes. Uh, but it's 630-plus pa pages of fairly readable text with uh, tons of quotes, reasoning, cited quotations on the 47 hottest topics in the Mormon-Christian debate. This is what the book looks like. Uh, I don't know. You can see the interior. <laughs> it looks like this. <laughs> Read it. Uh, it's even illustrated by me, uh, uh, but uh, terribly, but I might add. But uh, I'm of, a, of the opinion that there's nothing on the market out there like it right now. And uh, so it is pricey. It's $34.95 now. You had a chance to get it for $30. Bucks, uh, free shipping. If you didn't take advantage of that, Haha! <laughs> no, just kidding. It's $34.95 plus eight bucks shipping and handling. That's 2.2 pounds. Uh, and if you're international, it's 18 bucks shipping and handling. So it is pricey, but uh, I'll even give you a, a, I better not say that. You order this book, you'll love it. It's uh, uh, Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, an A to C doctrinal comparative between Mormonism and Christianity. We also offer video products. There's a video called The Mormon President out there, and it's a must-see for anyone thinking that they ought to contribute to putting an LDS person, whoever they might be, in the Oval Office. The second is called Girl. It's a short uh, film aimed at uh, speaking about premarital sex among teens. All of these products are available to you by going to www.hotm.tv and placing your orders there. Now, speaking of sex, we gathered together last night at the Gateway Theaters for the premiere of Boy. Uh, girl was all about the young woman's reaction to premarital sex. Boy was all about the male's reaction to engaging in those activities. The next year, we are going to be um, producing God, and that will uh, be the final part of the three-part series, the girl's perspective, the boy's perspective, and then God's perspective, so stay tuned. So that should be enough to keep everybody running amok at this time of year, right? Well, we have one more announcement we're very proud to tell you about. Beginning in January of 2012, next month, we, Aletheia Ministries is launching a new television program here on TV20. Uh, it will be a half-hour-long show which will highlight the stories and testimonies of individuals who have left Mormonism for a relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank God, the management of TV20, the owners, and you, our supporters, for making this programming possible. The show is going to be hosted by Mark Marriott and Bishop Earl. Remember Bishop Earl? He'll be, uh, he and Mark will be... Uh, there and helping the interviewees to get through their testimony and their story. Uh, the show is going to be called The X-Files. E-X, The X-Files. If you would like to be interviewed for this upcoming show, we need to have you write us at E-K-E Erskine. E-K Erskine. It's on the screen at Q.com. EKErskine at Q.com, and we'll get this going. You can also go to www.xmormonfiles.com.
mormonfiles.tv, xmormonfiles.tv. We're going to use the same uh, production formatting that we do for Heart of the Matter. All the shows will be archived. All the shows will be streaming video throughout the world. And uh, we plan to build a library of these testimonies. And we are looking for anybody who has, uh, who was LDS, came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and has that story to tell. So please uh, email us at ekerskin at q.com and tell us what uh, is going on and we'll, we'll go from there. We'll let you more, know more about it as we go on. All right. How about a moment from the Word? By the way, it's EX, not X Mormons. It's EX Mormons, okay? Uh, tonight we come to a verse that is right in the face of Mormonism at its core, of Joseph Smith's first vision and the way the LDS described God the Father. What verse is it? John 1.18, which says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. You see, years after Joseph Smith formed his church, he created what the LDS call the first vision. In it, Joseph said that God the Father appeared to him along with Jesus by his side in a grove of trees. And at this appearing, God the Father was in a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's. From this, the LDS come up with all sorts of non-biblical beliefs about the makeup or ontology of God. But let's set the flesh and bone stuff aside and just reread John 1.18. What does the Bible say? Bottom line, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time, but Jesus, the only begotten Son, he declares this God. And yet, yet Joseph Smith said that he, being a man, has seen God. Something is wrong here. Something's really, really wrong. Somebody's lying very, very much about something here, okay? Have men seen manifestations of God throughout Scripture? Of course men and women have. They've seen God in fire. They've seen him in clouds. They've seen him in light. They've seen him in wind. They've seen theophanies, Christophanies, anthropomorphic representations of God, like back parts, uh, Hebraisms, like the face of God, the hand of God, and the like. But you take all that and you have to put it right alongside with, but no man has seen God at any time because God is invisible. In Colossians 1.15, uh, Paul, speaking of Jesus who is in flesh, wrote, who, talking about Jesus, is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. No man can see God at any time because God is invisible. Hebrews describes him as a consuming fire, which could be completely invisible, a fire that consumes you without you even seeing it. And He's also incorruptible. Man is corruptible. So man cannot, as a corruptible being, meet with an incorruptible, invisible force of fire. You understand? This is one reason why Jesus took on flesh. 1 Timothy 3.6 says 
excuse me, 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh through Jesus Christ, his son. And as it says in Colossians 2.9, speaking of Jesus, for in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible is clear that God the Father has never been seen by man. This is one of the reasons Jesus became man, to represent the Father to us in terms of his characteristics, his attributes, and his love. Joseph Smith and the first vision speaks against this true principle in the Bible. Joseph Smith lied. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you, we worship you, and thank you for your son. We thank you for this program. We thank you for uh, those who are seeking truth in our audience, our volunteers, our staff, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, Lord, we praise you. We ask you to be with us now and uh, help those who are seeking truth to tune in. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we left off with Martin Harris taking off to New York City with a sample of written characters Joseph had provided him, which said, he copied from the golden plates. It seems Martin Harris went to New York in hopes of getting some confirmation that Joseph Smith was telling the truth about the gold plate story. Now, this is very important. When Martin Harris left for New York, he may have been unconvinced that Joseph's uh, tale was trustworthy. But when he returned, it appears he believed Joseph's story was reliable enough to get involved with him. Why? We'll give you that in a minute before we go to the phones. Harris goes to New York City and apparently visits a Dr. Mitchell first who tells him, I can't decipher these characters on this paper. But he gives Harris a sort of letter of recommendation so he can go to Columbia University and meet one Dr. Charles Anton. According to the earliest accounts of this visit, Professor Anton could not translate the characters either. But after Joseph Smith formed his church in 1830, the LDS missionaries were trying to sell the Book of Mormon story to people and they found it necessary to say that Professor Anton had in fact declared the characters to be Reformed Egyptian and to say that the characters were correct. If they didn't, people weren't believing the tale of the plates and Joseph translating them. Because the missionaries were using this claptrap to get uh, converts to Mormonism, Professor Anton decided he needed to set the record straight, and he wrote what he says happened when Martin Harris came to him. This is what, what you're going to see on the screen. It's quite long, uh, but it's worthy of reading, is what Professor Anton of Columbia University said happened when Martin Harris visited him with these characters. You ready? Here we go. The whole story about my having pronounced the Mormonite inscription to be Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics is perfectly false. Some years ago, a plain and apparently simple-hearted farmer called upon me with a note from Dr. Mitchell of our city, now deceased, requesting me to decipher, if possible, a paper, which the farmer would hand me and which Dr. M confessed he had been unable to understand. Upon examining the paper in question, I soon came to the conclusion that it was all a trick, perhaps a hoax. When I asked the person who brought it how he obtained how he obtained the writing he gave me the following account a gold book had been dug up in the northern part of the state of new york and along with the book an enormous pair of gold spectacles 
Whoever examined the plates through the spectacles was enabled not only to read them, but fully understand their meaning. All this knowledge, however, was confined at, a at the time to a young man who had the trunk containing the book and spectacles in his sole possessions. This young man was placed behind a curtain and thus concealed from view, deciphered the characters of the book. Not a word, however, was said about the plates having been deciphered by the gift of God. The farmer added that he had been requested to contribute a sum of money towards the publication of the golden book. As a last precautionary step, however, he had resolved to come to New York and obtain the opinion of the learned about the meaning of the paper which he had brought with him and which, he had, been, and which had been given as parts of the contents of the book, although no translation had been furnished at the time by the young man with the spectacles. On hearing this odd story, I changed my opinion about the paper, and instead of viewing it any longer as a hoax upon the learned, I began to regard it as a part of a scheme to cheat the farmer of his money, and I communicated my suspicions to him, warning him to beware of rogues. He requested an opinion of me in writing, which I, of course, declined giving, and he then took his leave, carrying the paper with him. The paper was, in fact, a singular scrawl. It consisted of all kinds of crooked characters and columns and had evidently been prepared by some person who had before at the time a book containing various alphabets. Greek and Hebrew letters, crosses and flourishes, Roman letters inverted or placed sideways were arranged in perpendicular columns and the whole ended in a rude delineation of a circle divided into various compartments decked with various strange marks and evidently copied after the Mexican calendar given by Humboldt, but copied in such a way as to not betray the source whence it was derived. I well remember the, that the paper contained anything else but Egyptian hieroglyphics, end quote. Now listen, after, after several years, after Martin Harris left the church, okay, Joseph Smith himself supplied a written report of what supposedly occurred between uh, Anton at Columbia University and Martin Harris. So here is Joseph Smith's account of what happened when Martin Harris went. It's taken from History of the Church, Times and Seasons, Volume 3. Now, take note the way Joseph wrote this testimonial. What Smith emphasizes and how he tells the story. And remember that this account was written by Joseph Smith in the voice of Martin Harris after Martin Harris left the church. Okay, this is what he wrote. I went to the city of New York and presented the characters which had been translated with a translation thereof to Professor Anton, a gentleman celebrated for his literary attainments. Professor Anthony, yes, Joseph called him Professor Anthony, stated that the translation was correct, more so than any he had seen translated from Egyptian. Note the hyperbole Smith uses to convince, more so than any he had seen before translated. He continues, and he said that they were Egyptian, Chaldaic, Assyriac, and Arabic, and he said that they were true characters. He gave me a certificate certifying to the people of Palmyra that they were true characters and that the translation of such of them as had been translated was correct. 
I took the certificate and put it in my pocket and was just leaving the house when Mr. Anthony called me back and asked how the young man found out that there were gold plates in the place where he found them. I answered that an angel of God had revealed it to him. He then said to me, let me see that certificate. I accordingly took it out of my pocket and gave it to him when he took it and tore it into pieces saying that, it, that there was no such thing as ministering of angels and that if he, I would bring the plates to him, he would translate them. I told him that part of the plates were sealed and that I was forbidden to bring them. He replied, I cannot re read a sealed book. I left him and went to Dr. Mitchell who sanctioned what Professor Anthony had said respecting both the characters and the translation, end quote. This account is completely suspicious because it not only contradicts Professor Anton's, uh, what he wrote about the event, but it also contradicts what Harris told other people, including a Christian reverend that Harris was confiding in about his visit to New York. So what happened was Martin Harris goes to New York. He has an experience there. He comes back. He tells people about what happens. Martin Harris leaves the LDS church and Joseph Smith in 1842 writes in the name and voice of Martin Harris what supposedly happened. And from that point forward, the church and the missionaries use that account that Joseph wrote about what happened to verify that Joseph had actually been authenticated by a uh, Columbia University professor of ancient languages. In all these accounts, uh, the L okay, excuse me, but the LDS missionaries were telling people that Anton had validated the characters. And so in 1842, Joseph decided, I have to write a history that says this, all right? Now, uh, to make matters more confusing, the reorganized LDS church has a piece of paper with some characters scrawled on it. This is it. See if you can focus in on that. I'll move it so you can see. Now, this is seen all over the place in church history. The, L the RLDS, or known as the uh, Community of Christ, they own this piece of paper. And they say these are the characters Joseph um, wrote out for Martin Harris to take to Professor Anton at Columbia University. Okay, there's a problem though. These characters, as you can see them, are laid out in a uh, horizontal fashion straight across. Professor Anton said they were in a very, in a circle and they were uh, quartered off and it was in a completely different form. So they don't believe this was the paper that Martin Harris took to Dr. Anton for, uh, for authentication. But they do believe that these characters that are on this paper were probably taken from that script and just written out on this paper to show what they look like. All right. So they believe that these are the characters Joseph wrote, but the paper he wrote them on for uh, Martin Harris was completely different. All right. So... Uh, here's the problems with these characters. And this has been deemed by very modern and extremely competent philologists who study languages and characters. First, all of them agree they are not in any way Egyptian, nor are they reformed, whatever that is. Second, they agree they are not representative of any known language or script. Third, and this is important, 
and it's applicable since Joseph Smith said that the American Indians came from the people who were inscribing on these plates, none of the characters on that paper remotely resemble anything found in the ancient Americas since. If these writings and these characters came from a people who were writing on the plates who became the American Indians, we would see vestiges of these characters in their own language and writings on the cave walls and on papyrus or whatever else they wrote on as the Indian nation progressed forward, but nothing of the sort could be found. Bottom line, the characters represent exactly uh, what Dr. Anton described. They were a hodgepodge of random scribblings and of figures and characters taken from various sources, including the Roman alphabet, which is the, what we use in English. <laughs> Joseph just inverted them, put them upside down, and added a dot in them. And uh, in Joseph's written account of meeting Harris and Dr. Anton, he has Dr. Anton say that the translation was correct. What is wholly condemnatory upon this account is Joseph knew there was no way Dr. Anton could say this translation was correct. Why? First, Joseph knew he made him up. So he knew when Martin Harris went to New York that whoever Martin Harris gave this to that was respectable, they would look at them and say, I can't translate these. These, these don't make any sense. I don't know what they are. But secondly, and more importantly, it was believed in the early church that the learned Listen, the learned could not translate the characters of the plates. This was an early belief. Even the Book of Mormon says that only those who had the means to translate the characters on the plates could do it. That means had the Urim and Thummim. Listen to the passage in the Book of Mormon from Mormon 9, uh, 32-34. It says, in the Book of Mormon, And now, behold, we have written this record on the plates according to our knowledge in the characters which are called among us Reformed Egyptian, being handed down and altered by us according to our manner of speech. But the Lord knoweth that none other people knoweth our language, and therefore he has prepared means for interpretation thereof. This clearly states in the Book of Mormon way back that while they were writing on the plates, they wrote in Mormon 9:32 through 34, listen, Nobody on earth knows this language that we write in. Therefore, God has prepared these spectacles to be included with them. And only the person who has the spectacles, the Urim and Thummim, can translate what is on these plates. This is in the Book of Mormon itself. So why would Joseph Smith send characters to, with Martin Harris to New York to have somebody say, yes, these are official and this is what it means? Well... The early church and its missionaries were uh, constantly faced with people charging Joseph Smith to be a fraud, willing to morph and alter and ignore previously established rules and statements, even scriptural passages in his own Book of Mormon. Joseph needed, as Mormon missionaries went out into the world, worldly validation. Notice how Smith uh, described Dr. Anton in his account, a gentleman celebrated for his literary attainments. Joseph probably got wind that the missionaries were actually telling people that Anton verified the characters. And, um, and so in 1842, he created a totally artificial recitation of what actually happened when Harris went to New York City and met Dr. Anton. And this has been the official, though fabricated, stance ever since. 
taught in every Mormon ward throughout the world. That Harris got there, Anton looked at them, he said they're official, he said this translation of them is official, it's all good, and he gives them, he writes in this thing, uh, Harris puts it in his pocket, he's about to leave, and Dr. Anton says, hey, by the way, how'd the guy find the plates? Oh, it was an angel of God who told him, hey, let me see that certificate. Rip, rip, rip. No, I'm not going to be behind that. There's no angel of God. But what about Harris going to New York City in the first place, before the Book of Mormon was even pr produced? Why did he even go? Well, maybe Harris went out on his own accord and demanded some characters from Smith as to get them authenticated, or maybe Smith set him up and told him to go. Either way, Harris went. And the LDS suggests that he went with Joseph telling him, go, go to New York City and you will find experts who will validate everything I say is true. And then they recite Smith's phony account of what happened, but I would suggest something altogether different happened. Remember, Martin Harris was a mark for the Smith and Whitmer family, and he needed this mark to be con-convinced. I would suggest this is what happened. I could be wrong, I admit. Harris goes to Pennsylvania where Joseph is with his wife, Emma. He's retreated there to get away from the friends who wanted a part of the golden plates that he supposedly found. And he gets there and he tells Smith, I want some characters from the plates to take to the experts out in New York City. New York City. Smith, playing upon Harris's spiritual and biblical mind, responds by telling him, I'll give you some characters, Martin, but God does not work through the strong and learned of the world to accomplish his means, but by the weak and the unlearned. So, Joseph says, let me tell you what's going to happen when you go. You're going to go to New York City, and you're going to locate somebody who's qualified, Martin, and learned in the things of this world. You're going to show him the characters, and even... Uh, and he will not be able to translate them, and he will even call them hodgepodge, or he will even call them made up. But that's okay. Let him criticize, Martin. He might even say that, that it's a lie. But let me tell you something. The Lord is with us. He uses us unlearned guys out here to do the things and to bring about miracles like this. So Harris, having these religious sensitivities, goes to New York, he, he goes find some people, and they actually say the very same thing Joseph said they would say. And how did Joseph know they would say that? Because the characters were untranslatable. And Joseph knew it, and he knew there was no way they would say otherwise if they were reputable. And so Harris, a mixed bag of spiritual superstitions and biblical knowledge and a desire to be great someday, hears exactly what Joseph said they would hear. And when he returns to Pennsylvania, he is convinced that Joseph is a holy vessel of humble inspiration, unlearned, and quite capable of bringing forth the translation of these unseen plates of gold. We'll pick it up from there now uh, next week with Martin Harris back from New York trip and this discombobulated story uh, that he has about what happened with uh, Dr. Anton. Okay, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers only, LDS preferred. We're going to go to Morris and Santa Quinn, line one. Morris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Oh, pretty good. I wanted to call about the Book of Mormon. Yes. And, or what you call the Mormonian. Yes. And what I was saying, uh, what I was thinking was, if people would reread the Book of Mormon, whether they've been exed out of the church or uh, 
left the church, whatever, or are having a hard time, if they'll reread the Book of Mormon and pray about it, they will get the answer from God. I've seen many people that have read it and know that it is a true book of God. Okay, let me ask you this, Maurice. Uh, <laughs> Maurice? How about the people who read the Koran and, and they believe that it is true as well? Do they get a witness from God? That... Yeah, they get witness from God. How about uh, uh, Ellen G. White's writings and people reading those and believing those witness from God, Holy Spirit telling them that they're true? How do you how do you how do you take the Urantia book that I've had people write me and tell me it is a translated word of God and they say it's true? How do you differentiate why is the Book of Mormon more true or less true or equally true to the Quran and, and Ellen G. White and, and all the people who have produced books? Why is the Book of Mormon and the witness you get more true than the Quran and these other books? Well, more true. I think there's truth in all these. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't give me you think there's truth in all. Why is the Book of Mormon the most correct book and God tells you it's true? The Quran conflicts with the teachings of the Book of Mormon, so you can't say they're both true. Why is your uh, subjective experience... Was there is truth in the Quran, too. Why is your subjective experience superior? Uh, because... The Holy Spirit will testify to you. Okay. It testifies to the Jehovah's Witness that Russell, uh, uh, Ta Charles Taz Russell was true and his writings and revelations in the New World Translation are true. You're not answering my question. Jehovah's Witness say that. They do say that. You're saying the same thing as a Mormon, that the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price are true. Tell me, please, Morris, why do you get to say you're particular inspiration from what you say is the Holy Spirit is true and everybody else's must be false because they contradict each other. They must not be false in all areas. Oh, oh, so God, the Holy Spirit tells people when they read the Quran that it's true. And the Holy Spirit okay. tells you when you read the Book of Mormon um, that it's true. What? Who have you heard that's read the Quran that said that? Uh, I lived in Sri Lanka, and I uh, spent every Sunday with a whole Islamic family, and they all told me that. So there's, an, there's your answer. Let me tell you something. Here's your problem, and this is the point I'm trying to get you to see. Anybody can come up with a book, and if it says, I mean, the, the Book of Mormon is, is a lot of the Bible. You can get good feelings by reading a lot of things. Definitely, it's okay. a lot of the Bible. It's definitely taken from the Bible. You're right. Morris, let me, I, let you, I've asked you questions and you haven't really answered me. The Bible never, ever asks somebody to read it and ask God, tell me if this book is true. You know why? Because the book stands on its own merits. There is archaeology to prove it came from places. There are living places that came. Muhammad got it through, uh, from inspiration. Uh, Mary uh, Ellen G. White, inspiration. Joseph Smith, inspiration. None of them came from real places, a real history, verifiable by linguistics, by genetics, by archaeology. This is how you know truth. 
God does not expect hey. people. Wait, God does not expect people to understand Him in a vacuum of sitting there and 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 waiting for these feelings. Your subjective feelings it's cannot not, tell you that you're true. Go ahead. It's not just feelings. What is it? Spirit testifying to you. How? That is true. How? Also. How? Uh, how? Huh? How does the Holy Spirit tell you Holy that Spirit it's testified to you? In your mind and in your heart. Okay, and are those feelings? The surety that it's true. Are those feelings, Morris? I mean... Your own church calls it what? A burning in the what? The bosom. Okay, that's a feeling. And I get it when I eat burritos, too. (laughs) And Morris, Morris, it is completely... No, 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 listen, Morris. It is completely a trick. Let me tell you something. Somebody's no, down. it's not a trick. It's a trick. And it's I'll a carnival trick. And I'll tell you another place to look. I googled on evidences of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Tell me about them. Tell me about all the evidences, okay? Daniel C. Peterson. Has yeah, Daniel C. Peterson. There's a reliable source. Why don't we try somebody who's a real paleontologist, archaeologist, a real scientist, instead of the bloated Daniel Peterson, and I don't mean physically, bloated in his ego about representing farms and talking about all the evidences for the Book of Mormon. Not one has been found. Not one. Mormon that really proved that it is true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at, let me tell you, everything you're giving me, nothing is substantive. It's all just You know anything about chiasmus? Chiasmus is not indicative of a book being true. There's chiasmus in Shakespeare. Chiasmus. Chiasmus is in Shakespeare. Do nothing about chiasmus. Chiasmus is all through the Bible. You read it, you pick up the the writing style of the Bible, you're automatically going to write in chiasmus sentences. Chiasmus is not an evidence that the Book of Mormon is true. Bible on every verse. Which makes it even less uh, true because it's in every verse. Joseph Smith was studied in the Bible. He was going to write in biblical ways. He was nothing but... Uh, uh, but an imitator, and he could imitate and take information and regurgitate it. This is a con. So, all I but can let's stay say off all this. For the people listening, the people listening let me tell you something. I'm not going to let you Autumn. share your filth. This is the thing. Do not ever take any book on the face of this earth and take it and read it and pray and say, give me a feeling that it's true. I'll tell you why. You could have a bad day. You get a call. Your dad has died. And the more and more missionaries knock on the door, and you're feeling really sad. And you open up, they say, hey, read this. This is going to show you. And you open it up, and there's a passage that says, and, and I, the Lord, love you and care for you deeply. And I want you to know that there is a place for all the dead of the future. And I care for them with all my heart. And you read that, and tears come because you're so sad about your dad dying. And you're reading this book, and you tie the two together, and you say, I felt that book was true. And you join a church that then throws everything out upon you, and you're in bondage. Never take a book. Never take the Quran and open it up and read it. And, and you don't know what's going on in your senses, which are of your flesh. The Bible does not say read this and ask if it's true. It says read it and search it and find out what it's based in. And you will find it's based in fact. All of his stuff about the Book of Mormon, it's all just blowing up a balloon. It's full of nothing. There is not one single archaeological evidence supported by science that's ever been found of the Book of Mormon. If they ever use these arguments, say, go, just go to the Hill Cumorah. Dig up one single metal artifact. There are millions who are supposed to die there. Give me a coin. Give me a sword. Give me a shield. Nothing 
anywhere for the Book of Mormon because it's a fabrication. Okay? Let's go to Sarah in Lehigh, Utah. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. You're welcome. You're on the air. You've got to turn your TV down. Yeah, I'm doing that. Okay, dokie, I'm down. You're down? Okay, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hey, listen, real quickly, I just wanted to bring up something that I've noticed. I may be wrong, but you can tell me one way or the other. See, I don't think that the LDS people really understand the difference between grace and the law. No. Not at all. It just seems to me like all the problems I've listened to you over the years is that they just, they don't, they don't get it. For them, works for them is a, is a job for themselves, whereas if you read the Bible and understand it, when you do works, you don't do it for yourself, you do it for God. Yeah. You're absolutely and, and, right on, Sarah. I'm sorry? You're absolutely right on. Okay, I, I just wondered because I thought, you know, I, I listen to you and listen to people call you just like, the guy that uh, you just got done talking with. I mean, he, you could talk to him until you're blue in the face. It would be good because he's so blinded by what he believes in. But, you know, it's just, you can't, I don't know, I feel sorry for these people. But you're doing such a wonderful job. Don't give up. I'm all behind you and supporting you. And Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> keep, keep praying for us, okay? And pray for everybody else. I will do, my brother. I love you. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, I was in a, uh, a fine eating establishment this morning studying Burger King, and uh, a, a uh, man who I'd seen before had, who has called the show came in, and he recognized me. Hey! And I hung up on him when he called here. And, uh, and so, he, you know, I'm, a, I'm just coming over and saying hi, and he's shaking hands. And I said, you know, don't give me your pretense here. I don't need your pretense. I'm a good guy, Sean. You're not a good guy, dude. I'm a good guy. I try to obey the commandments. I said, see, I saw him on a Sabbath day, and he told me he watches the show. And I said to you, what are you doing out here on a restaurant on a Sabbath day? Well, and he gives me all these reasons. And so I brought that up to him this morning. I said, you know, I talked to you about the Sabbath day, and here's why. James says you try to live by the law. You have to obey the whole law. And that Sunday, you were not. You were in a sizzler eating dinner on the Sabbath day. You know that's against your church rules. You say you live by the law, but you were breaking one of the law. And James says if you break even one of the commandments under the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. He said, well, I live by atonement. And Sean, I repented for my going to Sizzler on that Sabbath day. I've repented for that. I said, it doesn't matter if you repented. You're guilty of breaking the whole law, you see, because you think you can live by it. And this is my point. You're not a good guy. I don't need you to come and shake my hand and act like we're friends. You're not a good guy. You have a bad heart. You think you have a good heart, but it's really bad. And God looks at that heart. You need, I would love for you to say, hey, I have discovered Jesus is my only source of salvation. Not trying to obey laws to, to prove it to him that I'm good. Well, I believe in atonement. Let me tell you what that means. In the Old Testament, it was just a covering. Atonement's a man-made word. It's made up. And so it's not even in the Bible. They say Trinity is not in the Bible. Atonement's not in the Bible either. And they use it all the time. I believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It just means a covering for sin. It does not mean the imputation of Jesus' righteousness into your life. And the Mormons don't believe in that, even though Paul talks about it in Romans. That when you believe on Jesus, your sins are covered and washed away by his blood. And, and, that's all atonement is. But Christians believe, and you are given his righteousness. So when you stand before the Father, your works are as filthy rags. 
but you're made righteous because you believed on his son who lived perfectly and righteously. They have no concept of what grace is. They mix grace and works. They think you work to, to show the grace you've got. There's nothing about that in there. Uh, bottom line, they don't understand it. It's because their eyes haven't been opened, because they haven't been born again, spiritually regenerated, and they continue to, to follow this false system. Okay, let's read a few things. View of the Hebrews by Ethan Smith can be purchased at Barnes & Noble for $16.95. I think you can get it for that or less at uh, utlm.org. Listen, the... Uh, primary purpose of this show is to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To do this, we have a number of things uh, that uh, we like to bring to your attention. And the thing I want to bring to your attention now is Christians need to put a stop to the Salt Lake City Mormon Church uh, dictating how things are said and done. For instance, down in southern Utah, there are whole communities of people, Canada, Mexico too, who believe everything the Salt Lake City Church believes except when it comes to polygamy, present-day practice of it. Therefore, they ought not to be known as FLDS or Mormon, funda or Mormon fundamentalists, uh, but simply Mormons. The polygamists down south should be called Mormons, or they should be called Latter-day Saints, or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay? Uh, the Salt Lake City Powerhouse Church believes Joseph Smith is a prophet. So do the people down south. So do the RLDS, now called the Community of Christ. Let's stop letting the powerhouse church with the money dictate how the world says things. Let, let's refer to any group or people or person who says they believe Joseph Smith was a prophet of God as Mormons. They're all Mormons. See, the Mormons want to distance themselves from it. Don't do it. You meet somebody, you believe Joseph Smith is a prophet, you're a Mormon. Yes, I am. You talk to a Mormon here in Salt Lake City, hey, you believe uh, Joseph Smith is a prophet, yeah, you're a Mormon, just like the people down south. Oh, they're not Mormons. Oh, yes, they are. Don't let them dictate to us how we refer to them. Anybody who believes Joseph Smith was a prophet in any shape or form is a Mormon. Okay? All right. Just want to push that out there to you. Uh, another email. Did the flood of Noah's day cover the whole earth or only part of the earth. We get these scriptures quite a bit because I make comments on that. Here's the deal. I completely accept the whole earth flood. No problem. God can do it. No, he's amazing. The whole earth flood is nothing to him. And I presently take it on faith that this is how it was. However, my faith would not be moved at all if the flood was geographical. Uh, it's just not a hill to die on uh, for me. There are hills that we die on as Christians. There are other hills that are just not that important. And the LDS say, well, that's uh, wrong. You need to all stand on the same hills. And it's just not true. The Christians, we have debates on all sorts of things. What are the hills you die on? You know what they are. That Jesus was God in the flesh. That he was born of a virgin. That he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was put in the tomb. He was raised after three days. He is, uh, sits on the right hand of the Father. He was God incarnate. Um, we are saved by grace. The Bible is uh, sufficient to lead all people to salvation. Those are core issues. You believe those things. Everything else, uh, just a light. How old the earth is? It, uh, was there evolution? Uh, uh, was there a flood? All these things. Don't, not hills to die on to me. Live by faith. The first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. If you can believe those first four words, in the beginning, God, everything else you're fine. And so you just, you just go along, and I'm not going to 
separate ways with people who don't believe those type of things. Okay. I am a Christian. I honestly believe that talking about someone else's religion is wrong. It makes you seem ignorant and made me realize how unchristian-like you act. I really would like to ask you to stop talking bad about others' belief. Christ was our greatest example of showing love to those who didn't believe in him and his greatest commandment. Yeah, that's why he told those people, you're a child of the devil and, and, uh, and uh, Satan is your father and you're going to go to hell if you don't believe that I am God. Uh, you know, people, you talk like that today, people would say, you know, no, uh, uh, that's not loving, but that's what Christ did. That word love, so many interpret to mean so many things. So many people interpret it as to mean never causing pain, never inflicting difficulty on a person. Jesus did that all day long, all day long. Let me tell you about your sin, woman at the well. Let me tell you about this and that. Truth in love is what it's all about. Uh, so, and then we have Sean, Buddhist, Muslim, Mormons, Catholic, only you are right. Uh, I'm not right. Uh, I'm a man. I am wrong all the time. I've probably been wrong 10 times on the show tonight. But uh, God is right. The Bible is right. It is his written word. In, Bible, in the church on Sunday, we talked about Satan coming to Jesus and how he said, uh, it is written to every one of Satan's responses. It is written. It is written. It is written. Why would Jesus say it is written to the Old Testament, which was just as old to him as the New Testament is to us, if we can't trust it? We can trust the word of God. You read it. It tells you what, it, what God's will and word is, and you believe it or not. You don't need to have men come along and women and say, I've received a revelation that is superior to the word of God. Trust this now in its place, which is what that first caller wants you to do. Don't believe it. It's a lie. Okay, we got another email here. We're going to just kind of keep going through them. Uh, a Mormon friend who remarked how odd it is that the two brothers, Jesus and Satan, could be related. How could, uh, I was stunned. I told her they aren't brothers, that Lucifer was an angel who fell from grace. That's not even true. The name Lucifer was not uh, uh, the name of Satan, but it's all right. Jesus is God's only begotten son. The Bible could not be more clear about it. Why are the LDSers so blind about blasphemy? Uh, one myth leads to another. Uh, this is why scripture tells us to test all things by scripture. You open up the Bible and you test all things by scripture. Without a base, a reliable, trustworthy point of reference, anyone can make up anything and get you to believe it. You remember? And you remember uh, Hitler himself said, you know, uh, 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 Goering said of Hitler, don't trust Hitler through your mind trust him through your heart you see and your mind is so important when it comes to understanding who the true and living god is your heart is deceptive it will lead you astray it will go after its own will and ways without you even knowing it so your mind says what are the facts about this let me test these by the word of god let me see what's out there and that is how god has set it up not this vacuous state of information flowing to you from everywhere and just embracing it Okay, uh, LDS man says the word atonement is in the Bible 70 times. It, it's not the word atonement that was written in the Bible. That's a man-made word. He can go and look at the English translation, but the word atonement is not in Scripture. It was made up by another man, I think I want to say 15th or 16th century. Could have been even later. Andrew Bountiful, Utah, first-time caller. Andrew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how you doing, sir? Doing well. How are you? Hey, good, sir. If I were a rich man, I would have you on, like, a national syndication, guy. Okay? I love it. I'd have myself on there, too, you know, if I were a rich man. Just kidding. Yes. Hey, uh, why do you take the uh, state president fishing with you? 
Yeah, you know, that'd be a good idea. But I'm a lousy fisherman, so I think he'd show me why that. Don't, why do you? Why do I? Yeah, so the bishop doesn't drink all the beer. Oh, uh, but I'm... Oh, your beer. Okay. A good hey, joke. Uh, here's what I've got. Uh, Thursday night out here where it blew really hard. I'm in Bountiful, Centerville area. Uh, took everybody's roof off and so forth. A lot of damage, trees down. Uh, and there was supposed to be another storm that came in on a uh, Sunday, or no, excuse me, on the, uh, let's see. Whenever it was. Sunday night, Sunday night, actually. Another storm was supposed to come through and start blowing again. Yeah. So apparently Sunday they let all the warehouses out here out and closed the churches down so everybody could go out and pick up all the things in the yards and all the garbage. Now, is that breaking the Sabbath? They're my nuts. Well, I think they think, uh, they would probably call that an ox in the mire, which Jesus uh, validated. So, uh, there you but, go. Yeah. Funny, that storm never appeared, did it? No, it didn't. But they, yeah, they closed all the warehouses down early so everybody could go out and pick things up on Sunday. Yeah. So. Well, interesting stuff, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Thanks for watching and calling. Thank you, sir. I know you're short on time. But thanks. Love you. Bye. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Uh, got a question for you, Sean. I'm thoroughly Mormon. I appreciate anyone who genuinely adheres to their faith. So my question, if you was to wake up tomorrow and realize you're wrong about everything you have said or taught, would you continue with the show? What would you do if you found out everything you said was wrong? Well, hypothetically speaking, if I'm wrong, then the Bible's wrong. That's all I can say. If I am wrong, the Bible is wrong. And this would mean I am not re redeemed, but I'm just an animal, uh, a mortal animal with opposable thumbs. And uh, I would have a choice to make then, and that would be to live uh, conscientiously and constructively or to live destructively, because there would be no heaven or hell. Jesus was a liar, and it's all a farce. And I would love to stand here and tell you I would be this benevolent guy, and I would go out and serve the homeless and feed the poor, but I would probably become a destructive, some sort of organized crime leader. And uh, I would probably try to rule the world through uh, violence. And, uh, and because why not? I mean, that's just me. That's me as a person. You want to know me? That's me. And so uh, it would be a horribly ugly, ugly thing. And so um, that's what I would do if I found out I was wrong. Because that's really my only option. I don't see any reason to live benevolently when I can benefit more by being a vicious, brutal killer, selling drugs uh, to people and making huge profits all for myself. But see, I'm not wrong because the Bible's not wrong. And Jesus was not wrong. He's a historical figure. And the Bible is based in history. And he saved me. And he changed the guy who would be a corrupt, terrible man to someone who wants to love and serve and give. And so that's the difference between uh, what religion does for you and what a relationship with Jesus Christ does. Tune in with us next week as we continue to examine the Book of Mormonian. See you here on Heart of the Matter.